Amen. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you and we thank you. We honor you. We praise you. God, we pray now, God, that you will speak to us, God. Father, as we come to the centerpiece, Lord God, of our service, the the preaching of the word, Lord God, as we gather as a colony, Lord God, around your word, God, we pray that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would rebuke us, that you would change us, that you would transform us, that you would make us more and more and more like you. Father, I pray that you'll take me, hide me behind the cross where they see you and not me. Father, make much of yourself and nothing of me. Father, take my mind and think your thoughts in my mouth and speak your words, for your people are listening in Jesus' name. We said together, amen? Amen. 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 Cornerstone Church. Man, it's so great to see what God is doing amongst your I just want you to know that what's happening here is not normal. Okay, so don't think that the reality of what God is doing here is normal. God has some great grace on you here at this church and what's happening here. I'm really excited about the work that's happening here and just thankful to your pastors that they would uh, entrust me, just a little humble preacher from Louisville, Kentucky, to come and uh, share the Bible with you. So, man, thankful to you, Rich, John, uh, uh, Mo, uh, uh, Pastor Tripp, if, if he's here, I don't know, but, um, yeah, just thankful that... Um, uh, to be here with you, love your pastors, uh, and, uh, you know, love them and, and, and all of that. And so also, I just want to say before I get started, I've got an uncle and an aunt that live in Louisville, my uncle Lano and his wife Bonnie, and they're here. Would y'all just kind of wave your hand back here? So my, they came to check us out, and um, and man, and I already introduced my wife. And so with all that, if nothing else, could we please uh, stand and, uh, for God's word and turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2. 42 through 47, I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which may be different from yours, but Acts uh, 42 through 47, Um, and if you don't have a Bible with you, shame on you, no, I'm just playing it on the screen to your left and your right, so um, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, reading from the English Standard Version, if everybody's there, would you say amen? If you need a second, say hold on preacher, that's all right, that's all right, ain't no shame in your game. Man, Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we want everybody's eyes to be on God's word. Acts, 40, uh, Acts 2, 42 through 47, and it reads like this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And breaking bread, I'm sorry, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I'm going to stop there and put a tag on this text. A faithful church in the midst of, a faithful church in a fallen world, a faithful church in a fallen world. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. A faithful church in a fallen world, faithful church in a fallen world. Uh, I, uh, a few years ago, had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. for the first time. Great time, great trip. My wife uh, was a teacher in the school corporation. And so I got to go to Washington, D.C. first time, see everything in D.C., and it cost me $20. I'm like, how you go to D.C. for $20? I chaperoned a trip for a school. 
And, and, but, but what was so tight about a chaperone this trip for a school, we still had to have our own, got to have our own room and, and all of that. So it was great. Got to see all of D.C. Uh, for about $20. And in D.C., it's really interesting. They have an area in D.C. called Embassy Row. And, and Embassy Row in D.C. is the area where ambassadors from other countries actually come and work on behalf of their country in America. So the way it kind of works is you'll have somebody from Nigeria and they'll come into America and they'll work on Ambassador Row and they'll speak on behalf of their country in our country. And we've got ambassadors that go to other countries and, and do the same kind of thing all over. We've got people in France, everywhere they got people here. And, and as I said, the goal is for them to actually be a representative of their homeland in the land where they are. Well, you know, brothers and sisters, this idea is very similar to the church. That the Bible tells us in Philippians that we are not citizens of this world, but that our citizenship is in heaven. But God has made it in such a way that even though our citizenship is in heaven, we are actually an embassy in the world to speak on behalf of Jesus to the world. What an amazing reality that God, in his grace, would save us, gather us together to assemble and be able to show him off to the world as his representatives, as those who represent not the king of England, not the king of France, but the king of all kings. See, some of y'all are not even excited about that because you're still thinking about Trump. Listen, Trump can only be president for eight years. If you like him, I'm sorry, but he can only be president for eight years wherever you stand on him. But listen, Jesus will be king forever. That, that there's no end to his kingship. And once again, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say anything. If it disrespects anybody likes Trump, but you get the point that I'm trying to make. And so uh, uh, God has set us up to be a kingdom on earth that actually displays him to the world, and, and, and this is serious business, and this in some sense is what this text is actually talking about this morning. Leading up to this text this morning, the Apostle Peter preaches a sermon, a gospel-centered sermon, and some 3,000 people believe. And then after they believe, they're baptized. But you know, I love the fact that the text doesn't end with them being baptized, okay? I, I love the fact that it doesn't end there, but it moves on to tell us that after they were baptized, they committed themselves to community. They committed themselves to a church. And that's good news because a lot of us live in a time and a culture where we're just excited for somebody to make a decision, get in some water, and then we say, look what we did. But brothers and sisters, baptism, get this, is not the end, but the beginning. Baptism is not where it ends, but it's actually where it starts. Baptism is what we do, and then the goal is for us to join ourselves into a community of believers. And, and so in this text, that's what they do. And I love that they do that because we live in a culture and a time that's very individualistic, right? And people are like, you know, I got Jesus, I don't need the church. I got Jesus. I don't have to be a part of a church. Well, in all honesty, you're not saved by attending church. Because I'll tell you the truth. There are people that will gather in church week after week and will cuss you out in the parking lot. But, 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 but in reality, those who are God's people will connect with the church. You're not saved by joining a church, but saved people join a church. And that's what this text helps us see. That, that we're not here just to hang out and have these loosely affiliated situations. No, we're here to be colonies that show Jesus Christ off to the world. Now, now, now as, we, as we think about that reality, this morning, 
our text speaks to us. And Luke in this text gives us a snapshot, a picture of what the early church looked like. He, he, he gives us a, a small snapshot picture of it. Now, I want to tell you as we get ready to walk through this text, the text doesn't tell us everything about a church. We need the whole New Testament for that reality. But, but this text gives us a short, simple, succinct snapshot of what the early church looked like, and it tells us what we should be looking like if we want to be faithful in representing God in a fallen world. Now, this morning, brothers and sisters, I don't expect to tell you anything new. Your pastors love Jesus, love the Bible, love the church. And so I don't think I'm going to tell you anything new, more maybe remind you of some things. But maybe you're here and you're not, you're a Christian and you're not a part of a church. Well, well, I hope that hearing God's word today will encourage you to see the need to commit yourself to the family. And maybe you're here today and you're not even a Christian. Well, I, I hope that you hearing God's word and what God's church is about will help you to see that the longing of your heart, what you're deeply longing for, won't be found in a fraternity or a sorority. It won't be found in a sports league. It won't be found in a gang. But it only will be found amongst the covenant people of God in a church. And so this morning, I got at least five things that I want to show you from this text. I might do six, depending on my time, but at least five things that I want to show you from this text this morning that we see. And the first thing, if we're going to be a, a, a colony of God in the world, if we're going to be an embassy in the world, this text helps us see what this church did. They were a Bible-saturated church. Bible-saturated church. Look at verse 42a in the text. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That, that after they were baptized, believed and were baptized, they come together in community and they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching would have included the teaching they received from Christ. The apostles who walked with Christ for some three years, it would have included the teaching they received. But, but I think it also would have included teaching the Old Testament in light of Jesus Christ. That, that we see that in Peter's sermon. If you go back and look at Peter's sermon, it's filled with the Old Testament, but it's filled with it in light of who Jesus Christ is. And so these apostles uh, have this authority to speak on behalf of Jesus, and they're teaching the people the word. Get this, these believers sat under the teaching of the word. And that's a word for us today when we live in a very entertainment culture where nobody wants to hear a sermon more than 15 minutes. And if you don't have smoke machines in some way to kind of entertain me and get me excited, I'm not coming back. This church sat under the word. So much so that later in the book of Acts, there's a man that's listening to Paul and falls asleep and falls out a window. A lot of good stuff in the Bible if you read it. But, but anyway, anyway, back to what we're talking about here. So, 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 so the teaching of the word. Now, we no longer have apostles in the sense of what they would have been then. But we continue to uh, devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because we have their writings, which is the New Testament. And we have the Old Testament, which speaks of Christ as, as we recognize as we look at the New Testament, uh, the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. So we have the apostles' teaching. And then the question is, how, the next question might be, well, how do we devote ourselves to it? Brothers and sisters, what we're doing right now is devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. Right now, as we gather together and listen to somebody stand up and read the Bible, explain the Bible, and apply the Bible, we at this moment are devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. 
Brothers and sisters, the word in corporate worship is the center of what we do. Yes, we sing to God and we, and we pray to God, but the word is when God speaks to us. As we sit rightly under the teaching of God's word, we are hearing from God. And, they, and that's the reason, brothers and sisters, why we should be regularly praying for the men that stand week after week to explain the Bible. That's why we, including myself, should be praying, and I need, no, I need to do it better, be praying for hearts of people to truly hear God's word. Because it's in that that God grows his church. Okay? Now, 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 now that, that's what we should be doing. But get this, though, you know, we, we have something that they didn't have back then. Now we actually have what? Bibles. They didn't have actual Bibles. Everybody didn't have a, a leather-bound ESV calf skin with the special paper and all that, right? They had the apostles. But now we have no excuse. We all have Bibles on our phones, our tablets, I mean, everywhere. And so we continue as well to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, get this, as we speak the word to one another. As we regularly meet together in one-on-one relationships or in community groups or, or just regular uh, uh, conversations with one another, as we look to see God's word bear on each other's hearts, we at that time are devoting ourselves to God's word. We devote ourselves to God's word at the end of the service when we're having conversations with one another and we're talking and we're encouraging each other and bringing up things that were said in the sermon to one another. But the truth is, for a lot of us, we don't do that. We, we, we're talking about who's playing, what you got in the crock pot, like what's popping, right? Like, but there should be some sense in which we have conversations, and I'm preaching to myself too, so it's, it's, it's for me as well, um, but, but, but conversations about God's word to one another. And we devote ourselves to God's word as we personally read it as we personally spend time in God's word. In all of these ways, God's word is shaping us and shaping the church. Brothers and sisters, without God's word, you don't have a church. You might have a social club, but you don't have a church. And your pastor's authority to lead you is with their Bibles open. God's word is what grows the church, and they understood that, and that's why they devoted themselves to it. But not only do they devote themselves to God's word, not not only are they a word-saturated church, but get this, secondly, they were a fellowshipping church, a fellowshipping church. Look at 42b, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and the fellowship. The The word fellowship comes from a Greek word that means partnership or sharing, Okay? And what that helps us to see is, is that the church is not a a, a loose fit band of people, but it's a family that actually cares about each other and is connected to one another. But you know what's interesting? Luke, I think, gives us in verses 44 through 46, he kind of gives us a picture, if I can, of what their fellowship looked like. Notice verse 44 and 45. He said, And all believed, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Get this, first and foremost, their fellowship was seen through what they did with what was in their pockets. That you could say all day long that we got fellowship and we get together, but if you're not willing to come out of your pocket and help your brother or sister with their light bill, is your fellowship really as deep as you think that it is? Fellowship, get this, 
cost something. Is that in this text, they actually were giving to one another. They was coming together and saying, hey, bro, I got a bill due. We got to sell some stuff, make sure he got what he wants, what he needs. Brothers and sisters, it is important for us to understand that we cannot say that we have deep fellowship if we're not willing to sacrifice the resource that God has given to us to help our brothers and sisters. How can you say you love God and hate your brother? How do you, how do you love your brother and you're not willing to help him? Our fellowship, to an extent, is, in the, is seen through what we do for one another with our financial resources. Now, before people, people are sweating. They're like, oh, hold on a second now, preacher. I got to sell everything, like everything. I got to let go of the Jordans, the iPad. I got to let the PlayStation 3 go, or 4 now, right? I'm, I'm, I'm off. I'm old school, I guess. Yeah, 4 go and then all of that. But, but no, no. Listen, this was a voluntary giving. And I know that because if you read in Acts chapter 5, there's a man named Ananias. They got a wife named Sapphira, and they sell a piece of property and hold back some of the money, and God kills them telling y'all, y'all need to read this stuff in here, man. But listen, get this. They didn't kill them. Get this. God didn't kill them because they kept, it's because they lied about what they gave. And Peter says something interesting in verses three and four. He says, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man but to God. Listen, we're not called to sell, have to sell everything we have. And some of y'all are like, thank you for fixing that for me. But get this though, even though we're not called to sell everything we have, I believe this text teaches that we should have voluntary, generous hearts with the things that God has given to us, that we shouldn't hold on to the things that we have so tightly. We shouldn't be so my, my, my and think more we, we, we. And that's not French. But, 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 but that's what should be happening amongst the body. Listen, we are, I don't know if we're more like Jesus than when we give. Because Jesus himself, the Bible tells us, became poor so that we could be rich. When he left heaven with all of its wonder and splendor and came and lived in something worse than the most rat-infested crack house you could ever imagine to give his life in place of sinners. As we give of what we have, we're modeling who Jesus is. But get this, not only is the giving connect, not only is the fellowship connected to what they do or what's in their pockets, that partnership and sharing, but get this, it's about their time. Notice verse 46 in the text. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Brothers and sisters, their fellowship was more than cookies and punch every once in a while after church or a fellowship meal every six months. They literally lived life together day to day. They're going to the temple for prayer meeting uh, and in, in homes, they're meeting together. These brothers and sisters saw the importance of their lives being deeply connected in the way they lived. Brothers and sisters, this is a word to us. We live in a culture where healthy church, you're a healthy church member in some churches if you come to church once a month. 
In some churches, they'll say, well, we got regular, our, you want to know about our regular role or our, our other role? Where to be regular, you got to be here at least once a month. That's not healthy Christianity. Not in light of this text. That we should be people that are sacrificing our time. Fellowship costs us not only in our pockets, but in our time. And I know that a lot of us are like, man, I got to work, I got kids, I got all this going on. And that's true, and I get that. But I'm telling you, your life in work and with your kids and everything else will be better if you just carve out some time to be with God's people. That as you're with God's people, there's an encouragement and a strength to be able to keep going on in a world that's against you. Brothers and sisters, has the world's standards so affected you that it's squeezing you in such a way that there's no time for you to spend with God's people? Are you so concerned about climbing the, uh, the, the corporate ladder at your job that you don't have any time to spend with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are, are your kids in so many activities that you don't have any time for church? And then you wonder when they get older why they don't want to go no more. Well, the whole time they were alive, you showed them that this stuff was more important. Let me hurry up so I can get out of here. I don't know. This might get, y'all, y'all look kind of like, y'all like, hold on. Like, like, deal, they, y'all got to deal with that when I leave. So I'll let y'all deal with that. But, but, but anyway, 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 anyway. So, 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 you know what I mean? We've got to make time, brothers and sisters, to live life with one another in the context of family, one-on-one relationships, having dinner with one another in our homes and, and all of that wonderful stuff that, that just shows the love and the unity that the gospel speaks about. Okay? And you know, there's some people that are like, well, man, I don't ever get nothing when I go. Well, maybe the reason is because all you're doing is coming to get and you're not trying to give. Listen, deep fellowship happens not as you get, but as you give. As you give. Or Ken Hughes helped me out with that a little bit. I'm giving him a little credit. But, but, but yeah, so, so they were a fellowship at church. So not only were they a word-saturated church and a fellowship at church, but thirdly, get this, they were a gospel-remembering church, a gospel-remembering church. Look at 42C in the text. He says, what, to the breaking of bread. I, I believe that this breaking of bread is a reference to the Lord's Supper, that, that they didn't do the Lord's Supper like we do today. I know we're going to do Lord's Supper today here, and we do it at our church, and it's kind of like we do maybe a five, ten-minute thing on the end of our service. Well, well, in that day, they actually had a meal that went with it, okay? That's why when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and Paul's saying, don't y'all have food at home? Y'all coming, drinking up all the wine, eating up all the food for the people to get here? Because they actually had a meal. And, and that really would be relevant for us if we did that, because, you know, some folk would show up early and eat up everything. Like, hey, bro, you got to hold on, bro. Don't go through the line to everybody get through. But anyway, anyway, anyway. So, so, so the Lord's Supper was, um, was a meal that they would take. And as we know, brothers and sisters, that the Lord's Supper is a picture, a visible reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That as we take the bread and drink the cup, we are remembering that Jesus Christ was crushed for us and his blood was spilt for us. That, 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 that just as baptism was their int- was an entrance sign into the family, communion is how we continue to affirm one another in the family as we take the bread and drink the cup together. And so, so that's what they would do. And so as a church, 
We, that's why that's so important, brothers and sisters, that this visible reminder of what Jesus has done for us, that God no longer is going to crush us because he crushed his own son. That as that bread touches your mouth and that juice touches your tongue, you are remembering again that God's wrath is covered on your behalf, that your identity is not wrapped up in what you do, but who you belong to. And we need that, brothers and sisters. We need that. And, and, and here it is. We see it visibly in the supper, but we also speak it as we speak the gospel word to one another, reminding one another of what God has done for us in Christ, that we are no longer enemies of God, but we're at peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that, that our sin no longer defines us, but it's crushed in Jesus. And I hope as you think about this, as you come to the table today, it will make you think about that a little bit more, that, that you won't come with form or fashion like brushing your teeth in the morning, but you'll come remembering that I am taking a meal that actually it reminds me of what my Lord has done for me. But not only are you taking that meal, because the Bible says what, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're taking that meal, but we're also looking forward, get this, to a future meal that we will eat with Jesus. That, this, that these struggles that we're dealing with now won't last always. That weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That as we take the supper, we're remembering the goodness of Christ and what he's promised. The gospel, so get this, they're a word-saturated church, a fellowshipping church, a gospel-remembering church. i got to hurry up. They're a praying church. Look at 42D and, and the prayers, the prayers. They devoted themselves to praying. The, the, the early church brothers and sisters, this is convicting to me. I just got to start off just saying this is for me. If, if this ain't for nobody else, this is for me. Um, the, 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 the prayers, the, the early church was a praying church. They understood the importance of dependence on God. As you walk through the book of Acts, over and over you will see talk about prayer. Peter and them get locked up later and then the, the, the church is praying for them and, and, and they have a uh, uh, prayer. Uh, Paul has prayer with the elders around Acts chapter 20 and, and then in Acts chapter 1 when they're waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit they're up in the upper room having a prayer meeting that, that they understood the importance of prayer. This was a church that was facing persecution from the culture beatings, imprisonments, even death and they saw dependence on God as a must. You, 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 I know that we need to grow in our prayer lives. We, we, you know, we don't pray because we got money and, and we got stuff now, right? We got so-called intelligence and, and all this ingenuity. Listen, do you realize that we could create something that looks spiritual and all the day long have no power in it? Because we have the resources and the so-called intelligence to manufacture something with no spirit power. That's for me. That's for me. I could be easy. I always want to have an idea how we're going to engineer this and engineer that. Am I the only one? You know, as we look at the church in other places, other countries, China and, and other places where they don't have the money that we got. And they don't have the, they currently don't have the freedom we have. And notice I said currently because I think America's moving faster than we think to a place where we won't have the freedom that we currently have. But, 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 but the point, listen, y'all. But the church seems to be growing in these contexts, but shrinking in ours. 
Could it be because of my prayer and your prayer? I believe we're missing something. I know you guys do prayer meeting once a month, and, and we've got to figure that out as a church because, you know, a lot of, we live in a culture now where that's old school prayer meeting. You know, we just do small groups. And I'm for small groups. We got them. But, man, there's something about when God's people come together and lift their voices with one cause on behalf of the community and cry out, God, save people. Or, uh, turn prostitutes into deaconess and dope dealers into preachers and just do radical things. There's something about when the church comes together and does that. And, and we're missing that at New Breed. I, I know we are. They say, oh, that's old school. Well, some old school stuff we need to keep. Some tradition is good tradition. Listen to this story real quickly before we move on about prayer. In the 1850s, for example, the United States was in a weak spiritual state as people were preoccupied with concern for material things. In 1857, a quiet 46-year-old businessman felt led to start a noontime weekly prayer meeting in New York City. It was business pe- um, in which business people could meet for prayer. Anyone could attend for a few minutes or an entire hour. On the first day, the, uh, the man prayed alone for half an hour. But by the end of the, of the hour, six men from at least four denomination, denominational backgrounds had joined him. Twenty came to the next week and 40 the week after. Soon they decided to meet daily, and the group swelled to over 100. Pastors who came started morning prayer meetings in their own churches. Soon similar meetings were being held all over America. Within six months, there were more than 10,000 meeting daily in New York City alone. This was the start of what is now termed the Great Awakening in North America. It's estimated that in a two-year period, two million people were led to Christ out of a population of 30 million. Brothers and sisters, I'm not here to say to you that if we pray, we're guaranteed to have revival. God is in control of that. But the reality is, and I see the struggle of it in myself, I can say that I don't think we'll see any revival without prayer. So I can't promise we'll have it because we pray, but there definitely won't be any probably without it. If we desire to see the kingdom of God come in our communities, we're going to have to be people so not only were they a word-saturated church, not only were they a fellowshipping church, not only were they a gospel-remembering church, not only were they a praying church, but, but this is the, I think I'm going to go ahead and throw in the one I was thinking about. They were a praising church. Look at 47a. The text says, praising God. Now, some people hear that and they're like, well, man, does that mean I got to run around the church and jump over? No, I don't necessarily mean that you praise him. Like I said, there's people that do all that and they cuss people out and everything else. But, but the question is, is there an enthusiasm and joy about God when you come into the presence of his people? Do you come to church? Do I come to church speaking to me with, with a heart of just too much familiarity and unbelievers come in amongst us and see us and don't see anything different about us? There should be something in us that when unbelievers see us in worship where we have some kind of joy and happiness about the Lord. And My bad, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And we're, we're okay. We're, we're okay with, with, with saying thank you, Jesus, and hallelujah, and thank you for saving me. And, and we don't just come in with this. 
It just looked like you're at a funeral or you're just, or you're at like a, a, a at, at some type of class that you just don't like. Like this, and you know how I know that, that we could be more enthusiastic? Because if most of us sat down and watched a basketball game together, there'd be some type of enjoyment and enthusiasm and happiness when we see LeBron dunk or, or whoever that is. But how much more, brothers and sisters, should there be joy in our hearts and, and be seen in who we are as we worship God? I'm not saying that you got to be the most outgoing person with it, but there should at least be something that people see. There's something about that person and how they feel about God. But not only a praising church, lastly, an evangelistic church. Notice the rest of verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, for this to happen, for this day-to-day thing to happen, they actually had to be going and sharing the gospel, right? That, that we know that the Lord adds to the number day by day. He's sovereign over the choices he made in saving and all of that. We know all of that. But the means by which God uses to bring his people from death to light is as we preach the gospel, and then his spirit affects their hearts and brings life. And so if there's going to be any day-to-day saving happening then we've got to be people who are daily going with the gospel. We, we, we've got to be daily going with the gospel to the barber shop and the hair salon and, the, and, the, and, and JJ's Chicken and, and all these kind of places and, and, just, and just going and, and talking to people about the goodness of Jesus. Could, could it be that we've made our fellowship so comfortable that we're not willing to go outside of them to anybody lost? I see that in myself a lot, like, before I was a Christian, man, I was on a, kicking it with cats and everything. And you become a Christian, and he's like, you're almost uncomfortable around non-Christians. I feel that in myself. I don't even want, you can just wink at me. You ain't got to raise, I see you right there. Okay, you with me. Okay, yeah. Um, but, but, but this idea of, of have we created such a comfortable environment that all we want to do is come and sit, hear good preaching, hear good sermons, and just go home and feel good about ourselves. Because here's the reality. The Lord adds to his church day by day is talking about conversions, not transfers. That, 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 that we could create such a goal. And I'm not against some transfers. Some transfer growth is good. People leaving heretical churches and people that feel called to different mission fields. And so they leave to join other churches. But what I'm saying is, are we such a point that we're trying to create such an environment that what we're doing is cooler than the church down the street? And people are willing to leave because they don't dress the way we dress. And they don't got the music style that we got. And they're leaving for all kinds of reasons that have nothing to do with the gospel. I'm not against people leaving churches that are jacked up and people leaving because they feel called to mission. But we live in such a consumeristic culture that everybody's looking for the next thing that's going to scratch that itch. And that's not what the text, the the day by day, this was new growth. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be a part of that fellowship? You come to the Thursday meeting. Y'all went to the temple. You come to the Thursday meeting, you're ready to eat your dinner together in the house. And and, and Bill jumps up and says, hey, man, meet. Meet Kyle. I met Kyle today in the temple, and I shared the goodness of Jesus with him, and he believes, and he's ready for baptism. Or, 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 or Sally comes in. She's like, man, meet Sheila. 
And we was, in the, we was in the marketplace today buying meat for the dinner. And as we were buying meat for the dinner, we met her and we told her about the gospel. She believed we, we, we need to get the tank ready because she's ready to get baptized. Can you imagine? Let me bring it home to you a little bit. Can you imagine if you came in here and you're like, man, meet Shaquilla. I met Shaquilla on the block the other day outside JJ's Chicken. And I hit her with the gospel and she repented and believed. John Trip, she's ready for baptism. Or, or you'd be like, man, I met Jamal yesterday at the barber shop, and I hit him with the gospel, and he believed, and now he's ready to be a part of this community. Can you imagine that happening? You know the honesty, though? If I'm honest with my own heart, I don't, I don't imagine that a lot. So many times when I preach the gospel to people, I see it more as a message of death that, hey, it's off my back now, you know. And not actually believing God to do anything. Is anybody else there? That you've preached the gospel, that you've shared the gospel, and yet doors slammed in your face one after another, after another, you just get discouraged. Like, God, nobody else is getting saved. Like, this is it. You ever get there? I see myself even there right now if, I'm, if I can be honest before the family. And if you're there and where I am right now, there's a reality, brothers and sisters, where we got to go back to remember what God has done for us. That a lot of times we get so removed from our Christianity that we've been saved for so long that we forget what it was like when God first gripped a hold of us and saved us and put his spirit within us. Am I the only one? There's an old song, I think it was Andre Kraut said, take me back to when I first received. We don't sing that kind of stuff no more. Take me back to when I first believed. That's what I need. That's what you need. We need to remember afresh and anew the goodness of the gospel that God came down from heaven to earth, right? Wrapped himself in flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and lived a perfect life in the world and, and, was, and, was, and was healed the blind and made the lame walk and did all that. And he, was, he went from judgment hall to judgment hall before kangaroo courts. He was beaten and bruised and, and whipped and all that all night long. And one Friday he went to a hill called Calvary and, and he stretched his hands out. He stretched his hand, one hand out to be nailed in, and he stretched another hand out to be nailed in, and he stretched his feet out to be nailed in, and they lifted Jesus up. And the Bible says that if I be lifted up, what? I'll draw all men unto me. And we got to remember that our God is still drawing men to himself. He's drawing men, and he's drawing women, and he's drawing boys, and he's drawing girls to himself. But I'm so glad that he didn't stay on that cross. But he died, was buried, and three days later rose up from the grave. And God one day opened my heart to believe the truth of the gospel. And I've got to remember that again in the fresh and the new. And you've got to remember that again in the fresh and the new. If we're going to be able to have the passion and, and igniting for us to go with the gospel. It's not going to come because we got cool programs. It's not going to come because we think that, that our church is a cool environment. Like that will wear off in you. It will. It'll wear off with you week to week that you become a junkie from one week to another. Listen, the only thing that's going to give us that passion is for us to remember what God did for us in Christ and what he will do for anyone else. You might be here today and not be a Christian. And I want you to know that you're in a safe place, that this message that Jesus died and rose from the dead is true for you if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. If you reject that, you will face the wrath of God. But if you will trust in that, you can be saved today, non-believer, if you're here. And for those of us who are in Christ, myself included, we need to daily drink afresh and anew from the goodness of the gospel to remember what God has done for us and believe him to do it for others.
Let's pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We honor you and we praise you. God, I pray that this message would be more real in my heart and my brothers and sisters. Father, set us on fire. Help us to know that it's through you and your power that we can do all things. Help us to remember the truth of the gospel, not to become stale to the truth, God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.